This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! and welcome to our Match Preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Albin, as always. Lots coming your way over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. The attention in the second segment will fall to Austin FC, the opponents of Minnesota United, this forthcoming Saturday evening. But first, Kindra, lots to talk about. Lots of frustrations, again, for Minnesota United. Let's get straight to it, shall we? Over the course of the last two games against the Sounders and Salt Lake... Minnesota United have had a combined 40, yes, 40 shots on goal. Um, one goal to their name, as it stands. It's, it's too early to be worried, in my opinion, but it's obviously an issue in the early stages of the season. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's one of those things that, do you sound the alarm yet? Is it time to hit the buzzer that, you know, just kind of jolts this team um, back into action here. I'm not sure we're at that point yet, but do I think this is a, a, a must-win game as much as you can have in the third game of the season? I do because it's at home against expansion side Austin FC, who has a very good roster, and we'll, and we'll get into that more. But just from a Minnesota United perspective, what do they need to do in this game to really kind of turn this ship around. I think it's win and it's score goals. That stat is absolutely mind-boggling. And the craziness of it is it's not just shots. It's the lack of shots on goal. So they created this insane amount of shots. They've created these chances, these opportunities. But how many are really dangerous? How many of them are really goal-scoring chances where you're making the goalkeeper stand on his head? I don't think we can say that for very many, aside from maybe Stefan Fry making, you know, a couple saves um, in the Seattle game. But outside of that, this is just a team that's got to put it in the back of the net. And I truly do believe that goals don't just change games. They change mindsets. They, they will change this team. It just needs to start going in uh, for this club. And this has got to be the time to do it on Saturday. If you can't get up for this game, then we're in trouble. Yeah, I should clarify that, actually. That's something that we do differently in the UK compared to you guys here is saying shots on goal. It's, it's 40 shots from the United States' point of view. <laughs> um, but shots on goal in terms of making the goalkeeper make a save or hitting the target, they're few and far between at the moment. Do Minnesota United find themselves in a situation where they're perhaps not as concerned as one would be knowing what's around the corner and, and hopefully the, the imminent arrival of Adrian Unu and hopefully Ramon Avila becoming the version of himself that we're all hoping to see. I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent, but at the same time, you got to go with what you got, right? And at some point, you don't know who's going to go down injured. You don't know who's going to be away on international duty. So at some point, the group that you have and that you're throwing out there and, and whoever is coming off the bench has to be able to get the job done. You are still a prof professional on the best roster that Minnesota United has created thus far in an MLS era in 2021. And you should be able to finish the opportunities that you've created for yourself. You've done the hard work to get in the final third. You've done the, the hard work to create those chances. And it's just got to be better finishing. Honestly, I mean, we can talk about defensive miscues. We can talk about turnovers. We can talk about some gaps in midfield that are forcing the, the back line into some precarious positions. But ultimately, finishing your chances in the final third is going to be what cures for, for this club right now because you score a couple of those goals early it takes so much pressure off your midfield and your back line 
to, to not make a mistake or, you know, little, every little nitpicky thing. So yes, I would love to say, let's talk about the additions that are coming in for Minnesota United and that are going to be added to this roster and seeing Ramon Avila in, in full fitness and game fit and, and on the pitch and even on the game day roster for that matter. But ultimately you have to be able to get it done with the roster that you throw out there on game day. And they have not been able to do that in the last two matches and in kind of mind boggling head scratching fashion. And um, I think this is just a, this is the, this is a kind of a, a weird come to Jesus moment for the group that is out there and taking accountability for themselves and just um, taking, you know, some pride in their craft in finishing. And it, it sounds simple, um, but at the same time, we know that soccer is a very difficult game and the hardest thing to do is score goals. So we'll see what they can bring to the table against Austin. But you know that it's not like they enjoy, you know, launching it over the goal every time they get an opportunity. That's It's not intentional and they understand what the form needs to be when striking the ball. But it just hasn't come together yet for this club. And this is a big game on Saturday. You mentioned it as well, Kay. It simply comes down to individual mistakes, doesn't it? And that was very much the case against Real Salt Lake. Chase Gasper not having the best evening of his career. Yeah, and you know, look, I mean, outside backs, backs, midfielders, attacking players, whatever, everybody makes mistakes. You have turnovers. Now, we all know that when you make a turnover on the back line, it's a much more crucial situation because off to the races goes the opposition. Now, when they, they still had to finish their chance, they still had to make the run, be in the right spot, put it away. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, Chase Gasper was not his finest game and he'd be the first one to tell you it. He'd be the first one to hold his hand up. Um, and, and you know, he's the kind of player that just felt absolutely awful and terrible about it. But those, those mistakes cost goals. And, you know, the one play where it comes off a set piece or, you know, a corner kick where Roma Metzenier steps up to strike the ball and then he is, was the last man back and no one's covering for him. So that's not necessarily like a, you know, a one individual mistake, but it's a mistake of recognizing the moment and the play. And then the other one, of course, just the poor back pass by Chase Gasper and Real Salt Lake finished their chance. So, yes, um, you can't have that. You can't have that in this league. And, you know, when teams will capitalize, and they will punish you. Unfortunately, Minnesota hasn't done that enough to the other clubs. Let's go back to Seattle. We don't want to rehash that. But, I mean, there were plenty of opportunities. Robin Lua got it on his foot inside the six and didn't capitalize on the mistake. So this is, a, this is a game in a league where you need to punish teams when they make mistakes and you need to finish your chances. And Minnesota hasn't done that yet this far. Against RSL this past weekend, Kay, there were two players who made their first starts for Minnesota United and Yuka Reitela and Juana Godello. What did we make of their performance? Well, you know, I don't want to judge um, Yuka Reitela too harshly because I do think when you are playing alongside someone that's not having their best game, you're covering for them a lot. And it's like when we judged Michael Boxel harshly, when really he was covering for Francisco Calvo a lot. I mean, it is kind of a tandem unit over there on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, the two center backs. They kind of each have their own partnership and their own unit, and the back line then as a whole has to work together. So I think he actually is a really quality left center back, left back, whatever you know position he's playing on the day. I think he's a very smart player. He's not very fast, so he's got to be smart positionally. And I do think there were too many times where he was having to cover for Chase. They haven't spent a whole lot of time playing together. And if Chase is pushing high or stepping and gets beat and then Yuka's having to cover for him, and then, again, that's where his pace or lack thereof comes into into play then it pulls box a lot of you know out of position so I don't want to judge 
Yuka quite yet. I think that I need to see a few more games from him um, settled into that position and, and along that back line. I, I think he can be better. I don't think he was great, but I just don't know how much of that was him and how much of it was, you know, covering for some of the other mistakes. And then as far as Juan goes, man, he works his tail off. I mean, I think that he proved what we thought he was going to do is that he's going to try to be available at every moment possible for Emmanuel Reynoso or whoever is bringing the ball up the middle of the field. He tried his hardest to make the right runs at the right time to be available to play off of. He didn't finish some of his chances, and he has to do that as a number nine. He's got to put the ball on frame. He's got to make the, the keeper make a save, give up a rebound, something. But I think that from a high-pressing situation, he put pressure on Real Salt Lake's back line. He was willing to do the work. He was willing to make the runs. Um, so I would maybe give him maybe a B just because he didn't finish his chances. Maybe a B-plus for seeing his first minutes and having dealt with a little bit of a hammy injury um, at the end of preseason. But I, 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 I didn't think he was the reason that Minnesota didn't win this game. Another player that was um, subject to criticism over the last few days has been Jan Gregish, who was substituted earlier than he ever has been whilst he's been on the field with Minnesota United. Hassani Dotson came in to replace him. Um, I wonder if we start to see something like this happen on a more regular occurrence now. And, and that's nothing to do with whether or not Jan Gregish has a good game or not. It's just because Adrian Heath has... Um, some very good players at his disposal now and competition for places in the starting 11 is perhaps as fierce as it's ever been. But young Gregor's a player that I think we, both of us have said before, we expect a little more from. Did you get that feeling when he was substituted against RSL? Absolutely. You need a player that's going to be a threat going forward in that position. You can't just be a defensive minded player. You can't just fill holes and fill gaps and, you know, combine with Will Trap um, when you win the ball back to transition. Because that's Will Trapp's job now. That's that's his job. Jan doesn't need to do that as much as, as you know dropping in. And you need to have a player that's a threat going forward because Reynoso is going to be pulled side to side. He's not going to sit just right underneath the number nine as a number 10 and just fill that hole. He's going to be all over the place. So then you have to be a threat going forward to score goals if you're Jan Gregors. You have to make that defense feel the need to step to you to open up other passing lanes and avenues for other players on your team. And I've rarely seen Jan John shoot a ball that hits the goal. And this is just something that's crazy to me because he plays for the Slovakia national team and he works so hard. We see him after training every day before first man on last man off. I mean, this isn't a guy who's not putting in the time and the energy. This is just getting the technique all wrong when it's in the midst of a game and we know how hard he can strike it. We've seen him take set pieces, but in the run of play, it's a challenge for him to get the ball coming across and hit it one time on goal. He has to be a goal scoring threat and he is not giving that to Adrian Heath. He hasn't since he's arrived. And I think that that is why you see Hassani Dotson coming on. This kid can strike the ball. He can pick out the corners. He's composed on the ball. He's great setting up himself with the first touch. He can hit it one time. And it's just a, a player that has shown so much potential and, oh, by the way, can still play defense and fill the holes and the gaps, slot the balls through, connect the passes, ping it side to side, but is also the goal-scoring threat. And I think competition is the best thing for any club. And unfortunately, Jan may find himself the odd man out as he did coming off the other night. You have to be able to do your job. And for Jan, that's being a goal-scoring threat 
in addition to all of his other facets. He has to be able to do that going forward. I am beyond intrigued to see what Adrian Heath does with the starting 11 against Austin FC. And what we've seen from Austin FC so far, Kay, and, and maybe it's because they've, they've spent the first part of their Major League Soccer lives on the road. I don't know if they're going to play like this whenever they open Q2 today. Maybe we'll ask Michael LaHood a little later on when he joins us on the podcast. And they seem to be a team that's very good in transition. Um, Cecilio Dominguez is at the heart of that. Alex Ring certainly plays his part when they do that as well. Um, given what we saw against Colorado in their 3-1 win, their first ever win in Major League Soccer this past weekend, are we expecting a similar approach or do we expect them to perhaps be a little deeper? Because, and I say this with all due respect, going away to Colorado Rapids nowadays is not the same as going away to Minnesota United anymore. I agree with you there, but you could not have had two different opponents for them to face in their first two games to scout, you know, for us to watch film on and look at. I mean, you've got LAFC at LAFC, you know, and just starting off the 2021 MLS season at home. That's a completely different animal. I didn't know LFC, LAFC was missing some of their players and Vela came off early, whatever. But then you go to Colorado in altitude, which everybody fizzles out in the second half. It's almost like a written rule that regardless of the team Colorado's throwing out there and their back line is in shambles, the, the opposition fizzles out in the second half because of the altitude. It was the opposite for Austin FC. They, it was like it breathed life into them. They saw it as this challenge. They withstood some challenges and some close um, chances by Colorado in the first half. They go in, and then they come out in the second half, and they're high, they, you know, they, were, they had the ability to get out in transition at pace. And I do think there's a tone that is set, not just by the coaching staff, by the game plan, um, by Josh Wolf. But also, I'm going to really lean on Alex Ring in my analysis because I think that he is the catalyst for that, sitting in that spot. And now this was Fagundes and Pereira because Pochettino um, didn't make the start. He was a late scratch due to whatever registration regions, reasons we don't know if he'll be available for this team. And then knowing that you could have this pace up top and Dominguez with some creativity and he would drop back and get the ball when needed. But then, you know, Houston and then they made a substitution there with Gallagher. So they've got some really quality attacking pieces when they decide to get out on that front foot on transition, win the ball and go catch the opposition off guard. And I think that's where Minnesota United's midfield is going to have to be so in sync against Austin FC come Saturday night. Because of that transition, you cannot allow Alex Ring just to receive the ball with no pressure and pick out that pass and start the transition going the other way. And I was so impressed with Austin doing that on the road at Colorado in altitude. Um, I, I, was, I was really impressed with their goals and their ability to do that. That's just a place, regardless of who Colorado's thrown on the field, it, it's tough to do that in the second half. Everybody fizzles. It just happens. Let's say, for example, Kendra, that Minnesota United go with the same starting eleven, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little later on for sure. But you mentioned Alex Ring is, is the catalyst. Alex Ring starts everything when they start to transition. Whose job is it to stop that from happening? Whose job is it to stop it getting into the feet of Alex Ring? And you're saying if they have the same starting eleven, uh, yeah, Minnesota, that, Minnesota. Yes, yes. Let's go with that. Then I'd say it's Jans. I'd say because I, I think you have to let Reynoso – I think Reynoso has to drop back into a gap. He has to fill a void, a hole. But I think if Alex Ring is actually on the ball, 
I don't want Reynoso chasing him around. And I know Reynoso likes to defend. I know Reynoso likes to put pressure. He likes to force turnovers. But I would rather have Jan sit in front of Will Trapp just a little bit to create the pressure for Alex Ring to cut off those passing lanes to force the issue with Alex Ring and let Reynoso be free. So then when Jan wins the ball, Reynoso can come off the shoulder of whoever he is defending and find himself available and open and start the attack going the other way. That's how I would want to envision it. And I think Will Trapp needs to be sort of more the dictator, you know, just shuffling pieces around in front of him and giving yourself a little bit more of a safety net for your back four who he's seen struggle in their first two games. That's how I would envision it. I don't know, you know, if it would actually play out that way, depending on where Pereira and Fagundes or whoever else they throw in there, Pochettino, you know, what position they are on the field. I actually thought to me, um, watching back Austin, I mean, I know it shows a 4-3-3, but it almost looked more like a 4-1-2-3. I know that's kind of a funky way of saying it because Alex Ring would drop, you know, just stay put in their, behind their, in front of their back four and the other two would sit right in front and then you have the three attacking pieces. So that's what I would like to see. Um, but I would also, you'd have to test it the first, what, 15, 20 minutes because if it pulls you two out of shape, if you're Minnesota United having Jan having those duties, then, you know, Austin could pick that apart as well. But that's how I would envision it. I want Reynoso to be free to receive the ball and go um, when Minnesota wins it. Yeah, I wonder as well what, what Austin FC are going to do in terms of their approach. Do, do we again see what, on paper, um, we're being told is a 4-3-3? Um, and you, you would assume that if it is Alex Ring, who is the singular sitter in that number six role, either side of him, there's an abundance of space for Emmanuel Reynoso to, to manoeuvre. And, and if... Adrian Heath goes with the same lineup, and Ethan Finlay and Robin Lurd are on the, the wings and on the sides that they were for the game against Real Salt Lake. Again, there's an abundance of space to manoeuvre then either side of Alex Ring because we saw them tuck in as to be expected um, in that system that, that Adrian Heath is playing when he's got those two players in that particular situation. But would it surprise you at all if, if maybe Austin FC go with a 4 2 3 1 and perhaps have somebody else sitting a little deeper alongside Alex Ring? Yeah, and you're saying more of like a pivoting, you know, holding midfielder role um, in the 4-2. Double pivot. Yeah, double pivot. Exactly. But honestly, I I would have a hard time wondering if they – feeling that they would do that because – Even if Pochettino comes back in? uh, I don't know. I just feel like Alex Ring has – locked down that position and commanded that space. But again, that could be a thing. And Josh Wolf, you know, has said also in every interview, because I, I don't know him personally, but every time I've heard him talk, he said they are adaptable. They will change. They don't have a set. This it, it's There's one thing to say we have a philosophy and we have a, a, a way that we like to play, but it's another thing to say we have a philosophy, but we are also smart to know that we have to adapt and change depending on our opposition mm. and be willing to make tactical changes even in-game. So I could see them starting out the way they did against Colorado and, and Ring being by himself in that position because they've gotten more and more comfortable with the two center backs behind him and Lima on the right-hand side. I'm assuming it's going to be Coleman each on the left maybe with Ben Sweat out. He was who came in the other day. I think they're feeling more and more comfortable with that back line, allowing Alex Ring to hold that space himself. It also allows him some freedom 
to be able to work and operate in that space as long as he can command the two in front of him defensively. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Would that be, would, would you hope that if that's the case, that Reynoso has a field day with that opportunity, with that space that's been created, if they do play with a singular um, holding sticks right there, I think that Reynoso, his mouth should water at that opportunity along with, you know, Ethan Finley and, and Robin Lloyd. But I just want to remind ourselves that it wasn't for lack of creating chances. Sure. So I think Adrian Heath and company is in this weird spot where it's like, you're not reinventing the wheel here. You created chances, but you didn't finish them. So ultimately, even if you threw the same 11 out there against this club, it's about bearing those chances. It's about finishing your chances. You make that run in behind, you finish it. And I think that um, that's what the focus has to be on. Not necessarily like, Hey, let's, change the whole thing you know it because it it's broken but not you know reinventing if that makes any sense yeah I mean look as I said I think everybody would be surprised if there were major changes to this Austin team because of the victory away at the Rapids but but it wouldn't surprise me at all really if perhaps they asked Pereira to sit a little deeper alongside ring or maybe they bring in somebody like a Hector Jimenez or an Ulysses Segura who have done it before in Major League Soccer um, just to deny Reynoso that little bit of extra space if it is Ring just sitting on his own. And also as well, then if they do transition to a 4-2-3-1, you can then put Pochettino at the 10 behind Danny Houston. That, that, that wouldn't surprise me, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Well, and let's think about Colorado. If I go back and look at their starting 11, did they have a player that, you know, did they have a player that's similar to Urbanoso that they would have had to make, they would have thought differently, you know, when we talk about them adapting and Austin adapting. When I think about their roster, I don't remember um, exactly who is the starting 11 in that match, but I don't think that they had someone similar to Urbanoso. But, you know, and Atuesta, did he play for LAFC against them? Vela was uh, out after 20 minutes. They were missing a couple players. So they may not have had to face, um, you know, the same kind of um, space on the wings of Robin Lud and Ethan Finley and Emmanuel Reynoso. And then it'll just be about who Adrian Heath puts up top if he goes with Juan Agudelo again. So, yeah, I mean, I think Josh Wolf has been around a long time as a player and a coach at the national team level and as an assistant with Columbus. And, you know, he's, he seems like a very soccer IQ heavy guy that is not afraid to make a change depending on the opposition. And Reynoso is a different animal. You have to be aware of where he is on the field at all times. You do indeed. So, look, um, just going back and having a look at this, Atuesta did play against Austin FC um, when LAFC beat them uh, by two goals to nil. It was such a, a bizarre game. And in that situation as well, it, it's so difficult when you are an expansion team because n- nobody knows what the expectation is. Nobody knows really what, what to do. Nothing. They don't know what to do. It's it's a difficult situation when you're when you're an expansion team going somewhere like LAFC because it, again it takes time to understand each other's roles. It takes time to understand uh, what the best things are for um, for that for that team. Uh, for Colorado, um, at least according to MLSsoccer.com, and, and and I think I'm not entirely convinced with this that, that they've got Price and Namley in a double pivot with Bassett behind Rubio in the ten. I, I think Bassett and Namley would would perhaps swap there. I think Namely would be the number 10 and Basket would be the deeper of, of the two players there. So, so to answer the question, yes, it, it seems as though there has been a number 10 for Alex Ring to to get the better of over the course of, of the last couple of games. But Yep, I agree. And I, I also think none of those Colorado players have really had their really had their best game in that match from we rewatching it. So, no. um, you know, you don't know if that's due to Austin FC or just, you know, what they did to them or if it's just a bad game. But... I think that um, 
ultimately Josh Wolf has showed that his team can adapt and can change and um, we'll see what he brings forth. But I think it's really got to be more about what Minnesota United and Adrian Heath decides to do in this match to get a win, because that is really all that matters in this game is that you get a win and you've got to score some goals and, and um, get this mentality, this, this energy, this, you know, um, feeling back. And it's, it's hard. I mean, winning cures a lot of things and so does scoring goals. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Yeah. You get the monkey off the back for sure. Before we go to break, Kay, um, we've spoken about it. Minnesota United starting 11. It's very, very rare that if Minnesota lose a game, Adrian Heath doesn't change the lineup. What changes do you think we'll, we'll see on Saturday? I would, I would take Jan out and I would put Hassani in. I mean, I really would. And I don't know the health of all the players. I don't know who's available. I don't know if Abila is available. Um, I would stick with Juan Aguadalo up top. I just think that from a match fitness and an effort standpoint, you're, you know what you're going to get. Um, I do think Juan has the ability to finish his chances. Um, he didn't, you know, as, as much as I don't think he put as money on frame as he would have liked, um, but at least he made himself available and he was willing to do the work. And I do think that they need a forward and a number nine that is willing to do the work defensively. I think that frees up Reynoso. It gives everybody behind them a direction defensively on what they want to do to force the turnovers. And you should be able to do that on your home pitch. But I would I would take Jan out and I would put Hassani in. That would be my change for the starting um, the starting lineup, and I think him and Will Trapp could form a nice partnership, and it allows more cover for Reynoso defensively um, with a young pair of legs from Hassani, and also it allows him um, more cover and opportunities going forward because Hassani can actually strike it on goal and um, is a really good combination player in tight spaces. Okay, we'll wait and see. All eyes on Saturday as Minnesota United take on Austin FC, 7 p.m. Next up, we'll hear from Michael LaHood, the co-commentator, color analyst for Austin FC and get a real insight into the new team in Major League Soccer. Minnesota United fans, save time every time when you use online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. A very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. As always, the focus in this segment will be on the opponents this coming weekend for Minnesota United at the Allianz. They welcome Austin FC, the league's 27th team, Kindra. A really enticing challenge for Minnesota United. So we thought we'd bring in the expert, the man who knows them inside out, the man who is at the very core of this new franchise. Color commentator, former Philadelphia Union Chivas USA man, Michael LaHood joins us. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. It's, uh, the weather is very Minnesota-like this time of year in Austin, surprisingly. A little rain, a little cold, but uh, you know, not too bad. Can't complain otherwise. At least you don't have any snow. That's the main thing, Michael, because believe me, we've had <laughs> snow up here in June. So let's, let's wait and see, shall we? It, it, it can appear out of nowhere. So let's wait and see, shall we? <laughs> really appreciate you joining the podcast. So let's start things off with a few generic questions, shall we? Um, number one, in terms of Austin FC, as with most expansion teams, the roster was put together very quickly. But when you go down the list and you look at the roster on paper, it's a lot stronger than what you would expect from an expansion team. How good of a job have the likes of Claudio Reyna and Josh Wolf done to get this roster together? I give both of them an A-plus for putting this roster together. Although the ro roster was put together very quickly, it's because Claudio and Josh have had two years to prepare for this. 
from 2019 on, they've been almost like in a lab, <laughs> sitting there crafting the diff- the cauldron of what players fit what position and what style do they want to play. Most expansion teams, you can tell how good they're going to be based on the spine that they put together. And Josh and Claudio were very smart to get MLS veterans down the spine to say, hey, we are going to get winners, guys who have been either leaders of teams. I think of Alex Ring, who is a former captain of NYCFC, Finnish national team, and Matt Beasler, who's won MLS Cup and three Open Cups scored in Kansas City. And to bring that experience and surround them with talented players is it's a win-win for everyone here at Austin FC. When you talk about building that roster, I know Josh has made a point of emphasis saying that, you know, they are very meticulous about how they want to build this roster and also saying that they're not going to rush into any decisions, noticing that there's only two designated players on the roster, want to see, get through these first six, seven games, however it might be, and then, you know, see where they still need to fill the void, see where they still need players, see how this shakes out because of the physicality of the league. What have you seen through the first couple of games that really shows you that they are taking their time with this roster and trying to find out where those holes are? You see it in the very last match against Colorado. You see the guys who stepped up. Diego Fagundes scored the first goal in club history. And that goal spurred on our DP, Cecilio Dominguez, to come into life. And look, when you're a DP, there's pressure. And you could see how much it meant to, to Cecilio and really how much it meant to the staff to, to say, hey, he's figuring it out. Every DP takes time for them to figure out the league. Foreign players, it takes time for them to get acclimated. MLS is unlike any other league in the world. Travel you have to deal with. I mean, even for us to come up to Minnesota, most teams aren't facing that in other parts of the world. So there's so many things that go into preparation and getting guys comfortable. And for, for Josh and Claudio, Claudio in particular, they've told us that that's been one of their biggest focal points is getting these guys prepared on and off the field so that by the meat of the season, they're up and running and high flying. What about the designated players as well? And, and how much pressure do we feel is on them, particularly with it, with it being an expansion team? And also from what we've seen as well, Michael, and, and correct us if we're wrong as well, it's easy to look at Austin FC now and, and say that there's a certain element of expectation um, in, in terms of it being an expansion team, but they look like they are a transitional team. And a lot of that seems to come through Cecilio Dominguez. Is that the sort of approach we're expecting at the Allianz on Saturday? Well, yes and no. I think every game is different. The thing I like about Josh and this team is they are built to be adaptable. They have a style of play and they don't fear playing anyone. How they played against LAFC, they went and played them head-on. Most teams that go to Bank of California Stadium, especially since LAFC, they're not 4-0. Prior to that, they're 3-0, haven't lost a home opener. They don't have the gall to even go and say, you know what, it doesn't matter to play you head-on, and we're going to go for it. And Josh and this group did, and they did that more to learn lessons and to see, hey, where are we at? Throughout preseason, you saw a consistency in the lineup. You saw consistency in the style. And it's always testing that style week in and week out. And there's different tweaks that you make with that according to who the, the opponent is. You don't lose who you are, but you take what the opponent gives you. And so the recipes for success last week, there will probably be a tweak for Austin FC to try and exploit things that Minnesota United will give them. Part of that, I would assume, 
and again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, is Alex Ring being the leader of this team. And we can talk a lot about the designated players and their talent, but when Austin FC got Alex Ring, I think we all kind of, our, our eyes all kind of lit up because that's an addition that you can't ignore. And Josh has, Wolf has spoke so highly of him, setting the tone, the intensity level on the field, off the field, the communication, making sure that the players understand what the coaches want, all that. Have you seen that from him? And do you expect the same thing continuing on from him? I have a similar reaction that you guys did when I saw Alex Ring add to the roster. Alex Ring is a winner. First and foremost, he is, he, in my opinion, he's the best holding midfield. Him and Atuesta are the two best holding midfielders in, in the league. Um, and they're consistent. And he is good on the ball. His range of passing, he, he can, he's always looking to go forward. He can make passes between the lines. His ability to hit diagonals and penetrating balls with both feet is incredible. And the thing I like about him the most, though, is he's tough. He's not afraid to do the dirty work. You've seen it in both games. He, he covers the most ground on the team. And one he's one tackle away from changing momentum of any game. So when I saw Alex Ring, that let me know that this team is for real. This is not going to be an expansion team that's going to try and figure it out. It's, it's an expansion team that was always going to come in. And the plan was to make a statement, to be a dark horse in this league. Yeah, I think I used the word expectation about 54 times the last uh, time I, I asked you a question, Michael. And, and the reason for that was because this does feel different. It feels like the mold of not quite an Atlanta United, but certainly money has been spent where it's needed to be. And, and then certain players have been added, as you mentioned. But what is the expectation this year? What is a good season for Austin FC, given the amount of money that they have spent? I think a, a good season is making the playoffs. Uh, we will know more about this team as we go, just like any expansion team. But the fact that this team has an identity that we can see in how they, they build out of the back, um, that we can see in how they transition, it, it comes with time for guys to figure it out. I think the consistency and cohesive nature of a back line, an expansion team, that takes games, that takes getting experience in tough environments to play. The fact that this team, has seven games on the road off the bat in really difficult places to play. Going up to Minnesota is a difficult place to play. It's, it's a beautiful stadium, one. I haven't had the chance to be up there yet, but if uh, any of the Instagram photos <laughs> and word back from friends up there or anything to live by, it, it's, it's, it seems like it's going to be a really exciting place to play. Um, and that won't be any different this weekend. But when you're on the road, it gives you a chance to get stronger and get battle-tested and forge bonds. It's being in the trenches. So to be coming up to Minnesota after a statement win and a, and a milestone win in Colorado this past weekend, they should be feeling confident. But also, it, it's it's a really unique matchup because Minnesota United is coming off a, a really difficult start to their season the first two games. So you know it, it, it'll be exciting to to be on the call for it and, and kind of see this team grow. What do you think is the strongest aspect of Austin FC? Oof. Everything? No. <laughs> um, strongest aspect, I would have to say their ability to counter. They are very good in transition. They, they have the right players to hurt you. And now it's about match sharpness. So with this Cecilio Dominguez, you saw that last weekend of – he didn't need 
a couple touches to get his goals. It was quick fire. Didn't even think when he's in around the box. And now as guys learn to trust each other and what they bring to the table, knowing that Cecilio will get, has the ability to get you goals. He showed that in preseason. Now he's proving it in games in MLS, knowing that in the central striker position with a Danny Houston or John Gallagher, what they bring in speed and ability to hold the ball up and, and guile um, and craftiness and around the box, players start assuming different roles to help the team win. And that only comes with time. So different players will have to step up to unlock you know, the, the lock that is Minnesota United's defense. Marco, you mentioned star players a little earlier on. One of the individuals that I'm really excited to see is Thomas Pochettino, who was wonderful at Tajeres and defensive use this year in Argentina. A lot of eyeballs on this individual for several years. He didn't play against Colorado because of a registration issue, to our knowledge. We're expecting to see him at Allianz Field on Saturday. How exciting of a player is this? Poch is the, he's the real deal, um, or Poche, as they call him. He, man, he, he's silky smooth and he gets, he could pick a pass with blindfolds on. I don't mean to go all Ray, Ray Hudson on you, but it's the truth. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy watching him at training. I've, I've enjoyed watching him in preseason in, in the Laco Pizza tournament. And it, it'll be exciting to, to see him continue to get match fitness. He came a little bit later than a lot of the players, and he's still gaining sharpness and fitness. But in time, he he will, I think he'll prove to be one of the better DPs in the league. He's he's very creative on the ball, he, and he, he looks to get the goal. Um, and he, I think most of all, he's a team player. That, that's that been one of the pleasant things about him. He's willing to do the work on both sides of the ball. He can cover ground, and he's not afraid to get back and lay a tackle. So it, he's a complete midfielder um, on the offensive-minded version, of course. When you look at this roster, it seems like there's quite a bit of quality depth, which is sometimes hard to come by in an expansion team. How much do you think that will be leaned on early in this season with the seven games on the road, the physicality you've already seen, uh, you know, one of your left backs go down with an ACL and Ben Sweat. What's sort of been the mantra this week at training and coming out of that win at Colorado and going forward next men up kind of mentality? The depth of this team is something that Claudio and Josh have been very intentional about. You don't see that in most expansion teams. It's hard to see that in an established team just at all, let alone an expansion team, how they've built this roster. They, they've used every process from free agency to re-entry draft. They've been very smart. It, kudos to Claudio for bringing his experience from NYCFC to, to here to Austin. And even their DPs, they didn't go and spend $15 million like Miami did on a Pistaro. They still freed up enough money to get that third DP slot uh, spot and use that wisely. The depth of this team is going to be crucial in these seven games. The likes of Kakutamane, who has played limited minutes, he will, have, he will contribute. He's looked really good in training. I think John Gallagher, he's showing his quality is an impact sub. He's come in and changed games, creating chances. You look at Rodney Revez when he had to come in last game, he was just very dangerous. These guys are brought in not to be a sub for substitution sake, but to change the game and give what the game demands. And what I love most is each of them brings something different to the table. And as a coach, you have to be chomping at the bit when you look down the sideline and 
think, okay, which one of my cards am I going to use to to really change this game? And and Josh Wolf has many weapons at his disposal. What about Josh Wolf, the individual as well? We're all familiar with him, of course, being the assistant manager of the United States and was a loyal servant to Greg Berhalter at Columbus Crew as well. How was he as a head coach, Michael? Josh is a cool cat. <laughs> um, he, he's, he's a really good guy. He, he's honest. He's genuine. He's passionate about this job. He's passionate about this club. We've gotten to, to really establish a relationship with him and slowly build a rapport. And what I love most about Josh is he's, his ability to, to balance being serious and workmanlike, but also have fun, have a laugh. Um, he's, he's always telling stories from when he played and, and coached. And personally, I really like Josh. I, I got, I played against Josh as a player and always got to see Josh Wolf, the professional <laughs> who's very determined and still, still could ball when he was in the league. I think he played with the one Matt Beasler at Kansas city. And, and some of my former teammates with Jimmy Conrad um, and some of the other guys throughout the league, but a really, really good person first and foremost and a good coach. Just finally, before we talk about Minnesota United, Michael, I want to ask your thoughts on the Q2 stadium. It's set to open over the summer. Um, you mentioned earlier on, up here in Minnesota, we've got a fabulous stadium. But from what we've seen, it looks like Q2 stadium is is going to be the new shining tool of Major League Soccer. What can you tell us about it? I've gotten a few chances to be at Q2. We were there last week to call our match. And iconic. It, it, they no detail spared in putting this project together. From how the the grass is cut to where the grass is imported, it it, it is very much in in line with Austin. It, it's vibrant. Austin is very vibrant city. So the club wanted to build a stadium that represents that. And just seeing Verde all over the stands and, and seeing just that sea of green with the seats the lights, everything, it, it's it's just rock star status. And I agree with you that it, it, it is the new shiny tool. And with the word iconic comes to mind, I think it will be one of the more iconic stadiums in 2021 um, in North America. Shifting to Minnesota United, what have you seen from the first couple games from the club and how do you see they can be attacked, Minnesota United, when you're looking at what Austin FC brings to the table? Minnesota United, I look at their back line. Their back line is very different from the back line that you saw last year. Minnesota United last year, I noted a lot of how sturdy they were defensively. You knew that you, they were going to be in every game. They're always tough to break down. I, you notice in the MLS's back tournament, they they beat Columbus because they forced Columbus into making defensive mistakes. This year, I've noticed they, they've been a bit more cavalier in going forward and leaving defenders one-on-one at the back. And they have a lot of speed in the back line. So teams with fast wingers are just bombing forward on a counterattack and doing to Minnesota United what they did to a lot of teams last year, which is getting them on the counter. But with a Reynoso, he's a special player. I mean, just to come in the league and take the league by storm with all the assists, he, I mean, in any given moment, he can come alive. And he's he's yet to come alive. I think Minnesota United not having a Kevin Molino, who's that dynamic player who can have the, the, the moment of magic, individual brilliance. You saw what he was able to do to put the team on his back and, 
him and Reynoso really put the team on their back and to take him to one kick away, one you know, big play in both boxes away from getting to MLS Cup. I, I really thought they were going to get to MLS Cup and, and win it all last year with how they're playing. They seem like, they seem like a team of destiny. But from my experience as a player, the game changes so quickly. And it's this third game in the season that when things haven't gone your way, it's I see them as a sleeping giant is they're just they're waiting for something to spark their season. And, you know, Lude has been probably their one bright spot. He's I mean, his left foot. There's one shot he had, I think, uh, last week where. I mean, I, I was just like, man, I, I'd, I'd hate to be a soccer ball with how hard he hits it. <laughs> He's got a cultured left foot, but they need more guys to step up offensively. I know they just signed a new DP striker from Argentina. Um, I'm sure we'll expect to see him play, but if you're Austin FC, an early goal will do the world of good. Whenever you're playing a team that's starting to have a little bit of doubt, especially in their defensive structure, um, make them continue to have doubt by, by getting an early goal, catch them in transition and give it to the hot hand. Cecilio's hot. He's full of confidence. So I know Josh Wolf and his team will be will be really looking forward to building the momentum they've started with Colorado. Michael, despite the myriad of differences between the two sides who will meet on Saturday, there is one single solitary connection here, and that's Adrian Heath, who left the UK in 2008 to take up the project in Austin in 2008 in USL. Is there any elements of Adrian Heath remaining in Austin? Do people still talk about Adrian Heath at all? Well, you never remember, you never forget the foundations that have been laid for the club to get to this point. And I think when I hear of Adrian Heath's name, I remember Adrian as a former player, but when I hear of Adrian Heath's name and his connection to the Aztecs, what I think of is likes of Kukutamane. Kukutamane played for the Aztecs and he is now, I mean, he's, He's like the young prince of Austin. He's one Austin's own. So I think that connection right there is, is the most obvious one. And the, the Aztecs, from their time here, it, it was really part of the, this building block of Austin being a soccer city. When I came here in 2019, I got to watch a Women's World Cup, and I was gobsmacked. I, I don't use that word often, but I'm using dictionary words today. I was absolutely gobsmacked. Um, to see how passionate people were, to see people flooding into the bars and restaurants and people of all colors, creeds, shapes and sizes um, to to connect over the beautiful game. And so the teams that have come before to represent the city of Austin, it's it's really cool for to see the team playing against a coach who was part of that fabric. And now with Austin FC, they're the first major league team in the city of Austin and and really the first flag bearers of the beautiful game and the world's sport um, in a really unique way that's never been done before. Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, Michael, for so, so long, people would point towards the city of Austin and say, this has got to be where Major League Soccer go at some stage. Eventually, they obviously did. But why did it take so long? And why is now the right time for MLS to be in Austin? Well, uh, timing is everything. You know, the, it's hard to, you don't just build a house, for example, without laying the foundation. That It's not a house that will, will last. It's not a house that will last, that transcend the, the sands of time. And so with all the things that have happened before, the teams that have 
that have been there before Austin FC, they've been part of this foundation. But I think with the pandemic, with so many people coming to Austin and Austin really taking shape as this transient city, uh, the city where before Austin, the, the motto was keep Austin weird. And it's still a place where you can keep it weird through music, art, culture. Um, now it's come as you are. <laughs> Know, come one, come all. And Austin, as it's transitioned into this vibrant transient city, was always looking for something that can unite all Austinites. Enter Austin FC. And so when you hear of Verde and you talk about all the, the momentum and the noise that's been made, when you hear Verde or you see that hashtag Verde, Verde is, is more than 90 minutes. Verde stands for a movement that's happening here in the city of Austin. It's it's this culture that's being built and Austin FC is the banner and Q2 will be the home of, you know, the, the house that, that unites all of Austinites. Really looking forward to getting down there at some stage. Heard nothing but good things. Michael O'Hood, thank you very much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. My thanks, as always, to Kindred East St. Albin, our producer, Tyson Hill. Looking forward to your company Saturday. All eyes on the Allianz as Minnesota United take on Austin FC, 7pm. All of us here. We'll see you then.